0: Welcome to Copyright Clearance and his podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, August 31st, 2018, and Publishers Weekly senior writer, Andrew Albanese, joins me on the line from New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So we had planned to skip our weekly call with you this week, Andrew, ahead of the Labor Day holiday weekend here in the U.S., but there's always a caveat when it comes to vacations for journalists. If breaking news is hot enough, we step right up to the microphones. And on Tuesday, well, the news was five alarm hot we talk often on the show about business troubles at barnes and noble the nation's largest book retailer as listeners will recall demos parneros bnn's latest ceo the company's fourth corner office occupant in five years was suddenly fired over the july 4th holiday This week, he filed a bombshell lawsuit that threatens to pull back the curtain on the troubled bookstore chain. Now, I know this will take a while, but let's start at the top. What does Barneros allege in the suit?
1: Well, bombshell, I think, is exactly the right word. And I might even throw an expletive or two in front of bombshell to describe this. But exactly. This week, Demos Parneros filed suit against Barnes & Noble, alleging breach of contract and defamation. Now, our listeners will hopefully recall that the the firing was announced after the close of market. Parneros' firing, I should say, was announced after the close of market over the July 4th holiday, taken out with the trash, as they say. Um, With a press release that suggested that Parneros was fired for violations of an unnamed Company policy. And of course, speculation ran rampant at the time that that policy was sexual harassment. And indeed, that's exactly what Parneros' suit says he was told was the cause for termination, though he vehemently denies those allegations. Uh, he is now suing to clear his name and to receive his severance, which is about more than $4 million, which he was denied. And plus, he wants damages now. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves here. The book business cares very little about the actual outcome of this suit. What's of interest to the book business is what's in the filing here, and however the suit is resolved, the revelations in this complaint alone, before any depositions have been taken, suggest that there may be a bigger mess of Barnes & Noble than any of us could have anticipated."
0: Wow, really? That's saying uh, a mouthful right there. We'll go into it. Let's start with perhaps the item of most interest for publishers. The suit reveals that Barnes & Noble had accepted an offer to be acquired this past spring, but that deal fell apart in June. That's correct. And that is, I think, the major revelation here, obviously. Uh, The buyer
1: is described as a book retailer, and speculation is rampant as to who that buyer was. And I suspect we will actually learn who that prospective buyer was at some point, because how many book retailers actually have the muscle to buy out Barnes and Noble? Right, you know it's a pretty small pool. Uh, maybe one or two, maybe three people, uh, book retailers would have the muscle to pull that off. And I have to point out that this is one of a number of interesting choices that Parneros makes in his filing here, because he easily could have referred to the suitor as just buyer. Right, that would have left open so many possibilities from shareholder groups to private equity, etc. But in the filing, he chose to identify uh, this suitor as book retailer, and that really, really narrows things down for us journalists, so stay tuned there. I have a feeling we'll figure out who that suitor is at some point. But here's where the suit gets interesting, too. Parneros claims that after the deal fell through in June, Riggio turned on him. So the most obvious question that comes up is, why was that deal abandoned? The suit notes that the deal was actually accepted by Barnes & Noble and then withdrawn after the buyer did due diligence. Now, that can't be a good sign. You have to wonder what it was in B&N's books, or was it something else, not in the books, that scared this suitor off? And I'd also note the timing on this. This sale was either under consideration or in the process of being withdrawn, while Riggio was on stage as the keynote speaker at Book Expo, touting the future of the company and the future of book selling. So all of that, just as he was preparing to parachute out, apparently. And one other thought I'll add there is that you have to wonder, too, if there's anything that might catch the eye of the SEC here. You know, It's hard to know, but at the very least, Parnaris' suit Suggest that something went very, very wrong here, uh, and, and whether that is something that might be of interest to shareholders and regulators, uh, that's a whole other can of worms that might inadvertently have been popped open here when BNN fired their CEO in a way that made a lawsuit happen.
0: So what do you think? Are publishers concerned to learn that Barnes & Noble was in play?
1: I don't think anyone was shocked given the company's many problems and their, their business over the years but you know whatever concerns publishers have had about the state of Barnes and Noble I think this kind of nastiness this kind of litigation has to move the needle a little bit more into the red you know I asked my boss Jim Milliot, who covers Barnes and Noble closely how he thinks publishers are reacting to the revelation and he's actually been talking to publishers for a piece that he's working on that will appear in Monday's issues and a number of them raised issues about vision and leadership and succession plan. So I'll leave it to Jim here.
2: A couple of words that came to mind was uh, indecipherable about what's happening there. Another one said mind-boggling. One took Lenny's side to some degree, saying it looks like he's trying to find a succession plan, but having difficulty doing so. I think that's about the nicest thing that uh, anybody said about the situation over there. And to them, you know, it reiterates what happened when Karnasus was first fired and that there has to be new leadership there. There has to be somebody who is running the show and has some sort of vision.
1: And, you know, there's another interesting nugget from the complaint as well, and that's that Parneros claims in the complaint that when he came on board, he made an effort to, and I'll quote here, repair and build Barnes & Noble's relationships with publishers who were unhappy with past treatment by the company. So that, of course, suggests that there were problems that publishers had that needed patching up, and, of course, there are always issues between publishers and Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble is a huge account, but that the issue required... The attention of the new CEO, I think, is notable, especially now that
0: we've seen that CEO was, you know, bounced months later. When CCC's Friday podcast returns, Andrew Albanese has more on the legal battle, pitting Demos Barneros against Len Riggio in the BNN CEO boxing ring. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella,
1: Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly.
0: And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly.
1: Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing.
0: Every week we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash PWRadio. It's Friday, August 31st, 2018. I'm Chris Keneally for Copyright Clearance and it's Beyond the Book. We are catching up on the week's news and book publishing with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. So, Andrew, news that Barnes & Noble was up for sale surprised many in publishing, but that's only part of the story detailed in former Barnes & Noble CEO Demos Parneros' lawsuit for wrongful termination. The complaint describes a company whose leadership appears to be in disarray. Now, that's at least according to Parneros.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty brutal description by by Parneros here. In fact, in the opening paragraph, the complaint portrays Len Riggio as a, quote, volatile founder who refuses to relinquish control. Uh, And that alleges what you know many of us in the business have sort of long suspected, that that Riggio just doesn't want to let go. But the complaint goes on to portray Barnes & Noble as a company, and I'll quote again here, in turmoil for several years with falling revenue, declining profits, store closings, significant turnover in staff and management, layoffs, an ebook business that flopped, all of which has resulted in a much lower stock price and valuation. And you know, all of that from Parneros' complaint, is objectively true. Barnes and Noble has, in fact, faced some tough realities, but those realities could be true for any number of reasons, right? It isn't as if book selling is an easy business these days. But Parneros and the complaint goes on to suggest that, well. This is kind of Riggio's fault. Uh, The complaint portrays Riggio as this abusive leader and details numerous unflattering examples of how Riggio ran the workplace. And I'm not going to go into those specific allegations here. You can read them for yourself in the complaint. But what I will say is that Parneros alleges that Riggio engineered the firing of Parneros in an effort to maintain control of Barnes & Noble, and that he actually ginned up these misconduct allegations to oust Parneros. And there's no two ways about it. That is a very serious allegation.
0: When we spoke last July, Andrew, you noted that the initial statement released by Barnes & Noble was dangerously close to defaming Barneros. And clearly he believes the company crossed that line. But I have to ask, what do you make of all these allegations?
1: I honestly don't know what to make of the factual allegations in Parneros' lawsuit. But in my opinion, and speaking only for myself here and not for my esteemed employer at Publishers Weekly, it just sure seems to me like Riggio kind of stepped in at this time. That this latest episode has occurred at all, I think, has to be seen as a colossal blunder. And I do wonder that if it's a, a blunder that could actually come back and threaten the legacy of Len Riggio.
0: So when you say episode, do you mean the firing of Parneros or how it was handled? Uh, they're two different things, obviously. And, and what do you mean when you say this was a blunder? Well, the firing of Parneros, I
1: don't think is the issue. I mean, as we've reported, as the complaint notes, Barnes & Noble has had four CEOs in five years. Now, that's not ideal, of course, but, you know, we're kind of used to it, Right. Change at the top? That happens kind of often these days at Barnes & Noble. Now, really, it's how this was handled that seems like a colossal blunder to me. You know, I look at it this way. Parneros says he was fired about a month after the deal to sell the company went up in flames. And that firing was done at a brief lunch meeting where Riggio showed up with a lawyer, read from a written statement, and then left Parnero's at the table with the lawyer. That is ice cold. <laughs> However you slice it, that is that is some rough stuff there. And according to Parnero's, Rigidly allegedly also told him at that meeting, you better not talk to the press. Of course, Parneros didn't and hasn't talked to the press. He talked to his lawyers, which, of course, is now all over the press. So... The biggest blunder to me is that if you don't want someone to talk to the press, if you know there's kind of a story there and you don't want a story, you know, maybe you don't act in such a way, in such a corrosive, career-ending way for Demos Parneros uh, and deny them their severance. Now, I'm sure Riggio will point to his board and say the board did this, but this is Riggio's ship. He steers it. So why pick this fight? Over $4 million in severance pay? Suffice it to say, that $4 million could look like a bargain before this litigation is all over. But it's not even really about money, really. It's it's about what's going on now in the press. When you combine the state of Barnes & Noble's business with how Parneros now portrays the Barnes & Noble workplace, who would ever take that CEO job there now? Did no one advise Riggio or,
0: or the board on how this might all go if Parneros was backed into this corner? Uh, indeed, in a statement, the Barnes & Noble board have called the Parneros allegations extortion, and there are, of course, allegations against Parneros of sexual harassment and misconduct. Wouldn't that be cause to handle his dismissal this way? I would say
1: absolutely yes. Sure. But, you know, there really is no indication anywhere that Barnes & Noble was facing a, a misconduct problem that required this kind of drastic action. There are no lawsuits or settlements with employers over Parneros' alleged harassment, at least none that we know of, and no history of Parneros ever being accused in the past, uh, of which, of course, does not mean that something won't surface later. But right now, there's just no indication that Parneros is, is facing, say, a, a less moon vest type situation, which, you know, doesn't mean there's not a situation there. We just don't have any evidence. Of that. Now, I have to stress here that I'm not casting doubt on any accuser statement. Uh, what I am saying is that we don't have an accuser statement here. We only have an accusation from the Barnes and Noble board,
0: uh, and that Barnes and Noble board, in their statement, suggests a pattern. And the complaint from Parneros does acknowledge a complaint from an executive assistant.
1: That's right. The Barnes & Noble board in their statement does claim that they, quote, unanimously terminated Parneros following a thorough investigation that revealed multiple examples of significant misconduct. But again, we don't know what those offenses are. But the offense that Perineros does acknowledge in the complaint, which you know, with an executive assistant, does raise questions for me. Now, again, I am not casting doubt or questioning any alleged victim's account. My question is about how the company is said to have handled this alleged incident with the executive assistant because the complaint points out, the Parneros actually had a meeting with the executive assistant, allegedly at the suggestion of Riggio, with the knowledge of the company's general counsel, and with a company spokesperson present to apologize and clear the air for remarks that he made that may have made her uncomfortable. And that just seems really, really odd to me. You know, If this was a serious offense or part of a significant pattern of misconduct, that meeting simply would not have happened. There is no way any company would put an accuser in a room with the accused, especially when that accused is the CEO and with a VP present as well. I mean, that's gotta be legal suicide, right? It could easily be seen as intimidation, for example. So that to me makes very little sense at all. But again, this is one alleged incident and we really don't know what was being investigated here. The board statement says, you know, significant multiple incidents. So, but that does lead me to another curious thing about all of this too. If there were multiple examples of significant misconduct, why was Perneros not suspended? Why was he on the job while under investigation? And Pernaros, actually, in the, in the suit, suggested he had no idea there was any investigation. And I have to say that it's a very odd way to handle things. And, and finally, there are also allegations that Parneros abused the CFO of the company, Alan Lindstrom, which Parneros throws right back at Riggio. And this is really interesting, too, because Lindstrom's performance is heavily criticized in this complaint. I, I guess he's collateral damage. And I feel bad for Mr. Lindstrom and for the executive assistant here, who now find themselves in the midst of this public battle between two leaders and something I'm pretty sure they wanted no part of. Now, again, we don't really know what went on at Barnes and Noble, only what's alleged in this complaint and in the Barnes and Noble board statement. But the way this is now set up, you have these competing versions of events that are going to have to be tested, complete with depositions under oath. And I just think a lot of people are going to get pulled into this, which I think is unfortunate.
0: And you're saying it really
1: didn't have to go down like that. Certainly not. I mean, No, it did not have to go down like that. You know, you take the statement provided this week by Barnes & Noble, and it's just blistering, right? It's It outright accuses Parneros of significant misconduct, sexual harassment, and bullying, calls him a liar, and an extortionist. You know, talk about doubling down. But if Parneros is the monster that is described in that statement— Then why not make that statement at the time of his firing in July? Why not stand up and say, we didn't want to have to fire a CEO again, but we did it in defense of our company values? I think people would have applauded that. Instead, the company, for some reason, opted to put Parneros in a corner, denying him a severance, giving him no process, at least none that we've seen from the alleged complaint, to discuss the allegations against him, and then concocting this murky statement about his dismissal, which they buried on a holiday weekend uh, after the close of the market over July 4th. You know, they had to know that the only recourse for Parneros at that point was going to be to sue them. And you just can't tell me that there wasn't a better way to handle this, whether that was being upfront with the accusations at the time of his firing or by negotiating an ouster that would have kept this out of court. Now, the Barnes & Noble statement alludes to an investigation but here's, I guess, my point in all of this, is that barring a settlement, that investigation, you know, it's going to be Exhibit A and any litigation. And, you know, once that's out there, you know, the, the lid is really going to blow off this.
0: Well, we are going to keep on talking about this uh, story, I'm sure, Andrew. And I just want to get you on the record right now. Any predictions? How do you think this all ends? Does it settle? Does it go to trial? I honestly don't know, but I can say that however
1: it goes, it's going to go worse now that the lawyers are involved than it probably ever needed to. I mean, Parneros wants his name cleared, right? He doesn't just want his money. He wants his name cleared. So that to me suggests that Barnes & Noble just can't pay this one out, right? Again, the severance he would have been owed could easily be exceeded by the cost of a trial and any other financial element, severance, for example, and now damage is added in. And even if Barnes & Noble wins... A trial here is going to be ugly and expensive. So I don't know the truth, but whatever the truth here, whether about Riggio's or Parneros's conduct, the takeaway for us in the book business, the takeaway for me as a reporter reading this suit is that something's wrong at Barnes and Noble. And part of that takeaway for me is that Barnes and Noble's leadership failed to avoid this outcome, this lawsuit. You know, if there was misconduct, why did they not address that, you know, truthfully and frankly right up front? Or if they want a Parneros gone, why not negotiate his exit? The objective financial reality of Barnes and Noble is bad enough. Four CEOs and five years, a failed sale. But now the company looks like a circus. It looks like a toxic environment in this lawsuit. And how do you go out and recruit the best and the brightest people to come to Barnes and Noble after this? So I just don't know what happens next. But, you know, that this has wound up in court to me is a failure of leadership as big
0: as any failure alleged in the complaint. Wow. Turns out the book-selling business has the makings of a best-selling potboiler. And Rob, Publishers Weekly, senior writer, thank you very much for joining me today and every Friday, even on long holiday weekends. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, a journalist and industry analyst who specializes in the intersecting worlds of media technology and public policy. Paul Sweeting is founder and principal of Concurrent Media Strategies. He's also organizer for the fifth annual New York Media Festival, including the Rights Tech Summit, coming on October 5th. Rice Tech Summit covers the latest innovations in management and monetization of media rights. Recently, Sweden took note of the growing interest in rights solutions and rights tech among investors.
2: One uh, important uh, component is that where you have recurring revenue streams, you have a measure of predictability of the returns on, on rights because, you know, you can measure the 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 recurring revenues and make make projections uh with a reasonable degree of confidence as to what those st- revenue streams will be 5 years out 10 years out and so where you have a measure of predictability uh in returns essentially rights are becoming something like a a financial asset class in their own right because investors are always looking for uh, predictability of returns, and in the past, where you did not have recurring revenue streams and the industries were quite opaque, you know that didn't happen in in rights-based industries.
0: Investors eye rights tech next on beyond the book beyond the book is produced by copyright clearance center builders of unique solutions that connect content and rights in contextually relevant ways through software and professional services ccc helps people navigate vast amounts of data to discover actionable insights enabling them to innovate and make informed decisions beyond the book co-producer and recording engineer is jeremy brisky of burst marketing i'm christopher keneally thanks for listening and join us again soon on beyond the book (music) you <music>